uh, have a couple of um, uh, prayers that have been on my heart over the course of this week, uh, and much of it is is resonating with what I uh, what the Lord proclaimed last week to us uh, in the Scripture, which was that uh, no matter what took place this week, uh, Jesus is still King. Amen. And so that's, uh, that's, the, that's the assurance that I have that, uh, now, now I was a little bit off, I said no matter who was declared president on Wednesday, uh, Jesus would still be king, uh, so I was a little bit off, uh, and, uh, and I want to continue to say that no matter what uh, has taken place this week or what will take place in the weeks to come, uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all children of the Most High King, and He still sits on the throne and I'm thankful uh, for that assurance that we have as Christians because we reside in that hope and rest in it with uh, great assurance. Amen. So uh, today our scripture comes to us from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 and following on through verse 21. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear from the word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the things, the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is uh, what you are to say to Joseph. I ask for you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Uh, I am, am, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of God offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the, to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we do come before you with praise and thanksgiving for your presence with us as we gather your people here in this space. Lord, you promise where two or more are gathered, you are there also. And so we trust that you are here and we, we open ourselves to receive uh, this word today. We ask now that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear our minds would come to know and understand your ultimate will, our hearts, that we would feel the power of your word. We then ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would Offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you've heard the saying, but is it true? Hindsight is 2020. You know the saying, right? Hindsight is 2020. 
that, that you can look back over the course of the history of your life or maybe even the course of human history and, and, and that now it's 2020, you can see clearly what you couldn't see in the moment, that, that things in the moment are so, so cloudy and so challenging, they're full of trials and, 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 and distractions that you can't see what's going on, but, but then uh, af- after a course of time, you can look back and you can see clearly, is that true? I find sometimes it's true. Maybe even most of the time it's true, but it's not always true because it depends on what lens you're looking through. So often we fail to see with clarity what has taken place because we're looking through the wrong lens. I think that oftentimes happens with, with the trials uh, and, and the despair that we experience over the course of human life. Uh, our, our own challenges, we, we, we wrestle through, and in the midst of that wrestling, uh, we, we, we are obstinate and we, we are, we are uh, headstrong people that oftentimes find ourselves uh, so, uh, so stubborn that we're unwilling to examine something hard and see any transformation taking place through it. Some of you know, I talk about it openly, my parents uh, were uh, divorced in 1993. On April the 1st, 1993, my parents called a family meeting. Family meetings meant that we were going to move, so we all expected we were going to move. Uh, Instead, uh, they decided to tell us that they were going to get divorced. Now, that was on April the 1st, uh, 1993. My dad was a jokester. We all started crying. We're all weeping. We're sobbing. My parents are getting divorced, and then I, like, take a deep breath and say, oh, this is crazy, Dad. This is the craziest April Fool's Day joke you've ever played. And he was struck by how foolish he was to not consider the fact that he was telling us on April 1st. I remember the months that followed. My mom moved out, moved an hour away to Sugarland, Texas. We lived in Wharton. Uh, my two baby sisters moved with her. My, parent, my family was broken, not just my parents, but my sibling unit. And uh, I think about all of the pain that was experienced over the course of that season of life. All the things that I thought that I was missing out on and was from going to my mom's house and no longer being able to socialize with friends or missing out on uh, activities that I couldn't participate in because they had weekend uh, responsibilities and my mom lived so far away. And I I think I was a, a mess of a kid from... 8th, ninth, 10th grade. I don't know when it was, but somewhere in the last 5, 10 years maybe, I realized that I would have never been able to be the man I am today, particularly, maybe most specifically, the husband I am today, if I didn't go through the trials of my parents' divorce as I did. My deep felt commitment to my wife Lauren, my deep felt and sincere commitment to our family, uh, to raising our kids and, uh, and, and all that goes into that, uh, my willingness to endure and persevere and, and invest and, 
and develop and nurture, all of those things are so near and dear to me, and I could not have fathomed as a teenager or as a young adult or even in my early years of marriage how formative those trials were for me today. You see, hindsight is twenty twenty. if you look through the right lens. If, if you see that, that there is a victory being produced out of every harmful, evil, despair, or death. Victory is being produced, but, but you can't always see it because you're not always looking for it. You're not always looking with, with God's vision. And I, I think that that's uh, the example that we have set forth in, in Genesis uh, chapter 50. And actually what precedes it, you have, you, have, uh, you have Joseph on the one hand, and you have Joseph's brothers on the other hand. So you have two sets of experiences, both filled with uh, a great hardship, despair, and even death. And, and all of those experiences uh, come with an opportunity for victory, but only one is able to see it. Let's pace through it together. Let's, let's, let's see how, how God is orchestrating this. If you still have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going we're gonna to look at both Joseph's experiences and his brother's experiences and, and, and wade through this together. First, in, in chapter 37, we have Joseph gathering with, uh, uh, we have Joseph's first trial or hardship, and it comes in verse 23 and 24. So get this. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Do you remember this part of the story? So what happens is uh, Joseph's brothers are jealous. They're filled with hatred in their heart for, for Joseph. And they, and they are working to find a way to rid themselves of Joseph. And so they plot against him and they throw him into a cistern. And their idea is uh, we could just say that, that he was caught up by wild animals. They could tell their father that he died in the wilderness. Uh, but, but there in the cistern, he would, he would uh, starve to death, die of dehydration, or wild animals would come and get him particularly birds of the air. So can you imagine what that was like for Joseph to be in that pit? There, there's not much breathing room in Scripture for you to actually pause and, 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 and put kind of in a cinematic vision for you using your spiritual imagination. What that moment, what those moments would have been like for Joseph. He has been thrown by his brothers into a pit left for dead. He would have cried out, help, hoping that someone would come to his aid or his rescue. He would, after, he fall, after he fell into the pit, he, he probably broke some of, some of his bones or at least was, uh, was injured. And he would have attempted with his pain uh, in mind to claw his way out of the cistern. Wouldn't you? He would, he would have tried to attempt to save his life from that pit of death. And, and there in that moment of realization, he would, have, he would have maybe huddled up in a fetal position in the bottom of that pit, knowing that death was the reality that would come to pass. Waiting there, contemplating the pain that, and the torture that he was experiencing. What... what what parallels do we have in our lives to that? I have none. 
where there is clear pondering of the inevitability of death by betrayal of loved ones. But that's not the, the end of the challenges that Joseph will face. I mean, we, we think of Joseph in heroic terms oftentimes, but, but we, we, we fail to consider all of the trials that he is journeying through. But it continues on in uh, verse uh, 28. You see, his brothers are there, and, and they start to, 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 to consider, well, we want him to die. We want to be rid of him. Uh, but why shouldn't we get a little money off of it? And so in verse 28, it says, So when Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So Joseph went from, I'm going to die in a pit by myself, broken and maimed, betrayed by my brothers, to, I'm going to live in slavery until I die. I'm now in a cage of some sort, or maybe, uh, or, or maybe shackled and in, in a slave march from Canaan all the way to Egypt, hundreds of miles. The journey alone would have been torture. And then as he arrives there, he knows the fate that awaits him, the fate of a slave, one who will be beaten and whipped, tortured, as he performs manual labor day after day until his body gives out and he has no, uh, no value left and he is thrown, discarded in a pit of slave remains where he would breathe his last. So there he shifts from a pit of despair to to chains of slavery, knowing what is to come, that he would be in bondage for the remainder of his days. By some miracle and work of, of the Lord's hand, he receives favor over the course of uh, some wise interactions that he has, and uh, he now is serving uh, Potiphar. And he has, uh, uh, I guess, some, some handsomeness and some charm left within him. And he catches uh, the eye of someone that no one wants the eye of. So if you're a slave, probably the last thing you want to do is have your master's wife think you're hot. Did I say that, like, correctly? Like that, oh, I caught your attention with that, at least? Like, that's not what you want. You don't want your master's wife, your slave master's wife, coming on to you. But that's what happens. She wants him to lie with her. He refuses. She persists. He then runs off, runs away from her, knowing his fate. Can you imagine? You're a slave, and she wants to lie with you, and you're like, I'm not trying to die. It's just not what I'm invested in today, because that's what would happen. And so... In that space, he flees. And then here's the next element of Joseph's struggle. It's in chapter 40, uh, excuse me, chapter 39, verse 19. Here's 
what happens next. When the master heard this story, his wife told him. So she has been rejected. She ends up telling her husband that, that, he, uh, that he came on to her and he was going to rape her. And so there uh, she tells her husband the story. And in 19, it continues, this is how your slave treated me. The master burned with anger, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he went from a pit where he was going to die with absolute certainty to the chains of slavery, which would be the bondage of his life, now to prison where the king's prisoners were. Like, I, I think that that's an interesting thing for us to ponder. Like, like, the king's prisoners would be the ones that would be uniquely damned, right? This would be the group of people that, that had the king's judgment laid upon them. And so now he's sitting, wallowing in prison, knowing that death would most certainly come, that he's going to face a challenge, a defeat, uh, unlike any other, that, 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 that this is where he is destined to die. This is the perspective of Joseph's life that we come into chapter 50 with. But now let's look at the brothers. Let's, let's be sure we, we hear the, the, this other perspective because in chapter 50 we have both Joseph and the brothers. So we need to see what they're bringing with them into this space. So first we, we heard and I mentioned a, a little bit about their relationship with Joseph. In, verse, in chapter 37, verse 8 and following, it says, His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And here's, here's where you get their heart in it. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. They, they hated their brother. And that, that's a darkness that wells up within and distorts the soul. Hated their flesh and blood, their brother, and even furthermore conspired. And in verse 19, we hear what led to the pit. Verse 19, it says, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him, throw him into one of the cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They, they hated him to the point of murder. And knew that when they enacted that attempted murder, when they threw him into the cistern, and then later when they, when they sold him into slavery, they were complicit in such a heinous act of sinful behavior that, that then required them to perpetuate it in lie after lie after lie to their father. They went back to their father. They sold. They said that their, that, that their brother had, had died uh, in the wilderness, and they brought him this, this, this coat, and their father was filled with despair and, and mourned the loss of their son, which only enraged them all the more. It filled them with jealousy because they hated their brother so much, and why would their father mourn his loss? Would their father actually mourn their loss in the same way? And so they were just in this cycle of Spiral of despair, destruction of self and relationships over and over again until they seem, it seems, were at rock bottom. And then in chapter 42, verse 1, 
the, the, the things of this world have a say in their next challenge, no longer their own sin leading to despair, but now what's happening in the world around them. In chapter 42, verse 1, it, it describes what's happening. It says, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So that we, so that we would live and not die. So there's this great famine in the land. It's lasting for years. And, and this famine is causing them to question their own life. It's something that you and I can't relate to. Starvation. Like, like literal starvation. Not, 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 not like, like I go to McDonald's and I ask for a two cheeseburger meal and they accidentally only give me one cheeseburger. And so afterwards I'm still hungry. So I tell my parents I'm starving, right? Like, no, like literal starvation. Like, like rationing food day by day, giving yourselves minuscule portions, just hoping that you'll survive another day, hoping that something will change in turn so that you don't die from starvation. And as they are starving to death, they, they are looking out upon their countrymen and women and seeing them die. You see, you see, Jacob and his sons, his family, were quite wealthy. They had immense means that had been accumulated over the course of generations. And, and if they are that wealthy and they're worried about living, then think about all of the people that were dying around them. Like, like put, this, put this together. Don't just sit and say, oh, yeah, like, we, we don't want to die. But if they're saying they don't want to die, then that means many people around them are dying from starvation, which means hope is waning. Defeat is upon them because death, the stench of death, is so very real to them. And then we arrive at our story today in chapter 50. They have connected with their brother again, gone to Egypt and asked for grain. And he was now presiding over that through, uh, through great wisdom and interpretation of dreams that the Lord had given uh, to Joseph over the course of many, many interactions. And here we find that Joseph and his family are reunited. But when their father Jacob dies, they are filled with fear because they are still in that spiral of despair that is drawing them to the depths. So much so that they are they're willing, they're willing to lie. Lie in their father's name. Did y'all catch that? Did, did you see the deception in it? Beginning of verse 15. Listen for it this time. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they're worried about retribution. Rightful retribution because... They tried to kill their brother. 
in two different heinous ways. And so they sent word to Joseph saying, saying, your father left us these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to, to Joseph. I ask for you to forgive your brothers the sins, the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive their sins, the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. They are so caught in cycles of despair that they are drawn to the depths such that they would lie to their brother about their father's wishes. Now, hindsight is twenty twenty. Is it? Is it? It is if you are looking at life, at challenges, through God's eyes. Do you see what's happening in this situation? You have Joseph's brothers who come to, who come to this situation and they, see, and they see their sin, they see their shame, they see their guilt, they see the famine, they see their trials, they see all that they've been through as a family, they see, they see all that they've been through in their relationship with God that's been enacted in harm uh, as they've, that they've inflicted upon their brother. And all they can do is see how death and despair is the only logical outcome. But Joseph has a different vision. He can see in 2020 because he sees that out of the grasp of despair, God was producing a grand victory. Out of death, God was producing life. And not just Joseph's life or his brother's life, but, but also the, the, the many lives that are being saved through his administration of these resources. You see, Joseph is able to look at the situation and say, uh, you meant death in the pit, you meant death in slavery. Uh, I expected death in prison, but God all the while was producing a victory. That's the kind of lens that we are to look at our lives through, our situations through, our world through. We're, we're, we're to say, what is taking place today? What trials or tribulations are happening? What is God doing? What is he up to? Now, let me clarify something. I, I don't believe God is enacting any uh, account of evil. James chapter 1 talks about it in this way. James says that God isn't the one that, that uses evil to tempt because God is not capable of interacting with evil a, 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 as a useful uh, tool. You see, God is good, and so God doesn't use evil to tempt, but God always sees that evil and is turning it, fighting against it for good. And, and, and so whenever you see any form of evil, sin, despair, death, deprivation around you, you know that there are spiritual forces at work or there is human brokenness and sin at work. And when those two things are at work, God is working in equal, equal and op opposite, actually even more extraordinary than that fashion because God is producing the victory over those 
things. I look at it this way. One of my good friends, now as an adult, he could look back at his life, and, and, and he had such, such a, a more tough and challenging life than I had. Sometimes I think I, I, I don't have one of those grand preacher stories. You know what I'm talking about, like the, the preacher story where like I, I was like, like, uh, like on the streets, like cracked out and, and totally like on the sidewalk and homeless and and why are you laughing? You know the, the preacher story. Like you go to, you, you go to the youth camp and, and, the, and the guy tells you like, like look, all these teardrops are from all the, the people I killed, right? And now like now I know Jesus and you can know Jesus too. So uh, I always felt as a preacher I was missing that sort of like, like crack pipe uh, murder story. And I, I, I didn't, <laughs> y'all, y'all know what, I, y- none of y'all went to church camp. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay, all right. <laughs> I wish I knew what the people at home were thinking right now. I could, I, could, I could see you, and I know what you're thinking, but I, didn't, I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, but, but anyway, so one, one, of my, one of my best friends, one of my dear friends, um, uh, his parents were divorced when he was in second grade, but, but he didn't have the cooperative parenting relationship that my parents had. My mom and dad have been in my life and have loved me and cared for me and nurtured my life throughout. His dad abandoned him. But not, not just pure abandonment. I think pure abandonment would have been, would have been nicer, would have been neater. His, his dad would, 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 would have a scheduled pickup on Friday and would call on Sunday and say, sorry, I missed it. Like they would have vacations scheduled for spring break with their dad. And then on Wednesday, after he never picked them up, they would see pictures of him and some random woman on their vacation instead of him. He was abandoned, right? And, he, and, and that abandonment weighed so heavily on his life that he spun into... Uh, the predictable life choices of despair that led to addiction. And he uh, spiraled through a whole course of drugs and alcohol abuse that, uh, that landed him in and out of hospitals and in and out of uh, uh, trouble with the law. And as all of those things just encompassed his life, uh, his girlfriend got pregnant. And predictably, what happens to an addict who has, uh, who has a, a newborn, the foster care system caught wind of his addictions and wants to protect the child and then distances him from his relationship with his daughter. What happens then? What happens then is this broken, abandoned, addicted despair of a man sees new life in his daughter and finds God working to bring new life in him. He goes into a treatment facility. He's been there before, but now he goes with a purpose to be a father that he never had. 
He comes out of that treatment facility with a discipline and an intentional focus, a desire to be something he never had, and a ferocious, intentional effort to, to, to achieve that, and he did. And now we could talk today and we could, we could, we could sit down and, and hang out. And, and as he begins to look back, he can see how all of those trials, all of that evil that he experienced, God was about the work of producing, production, producing a glorious victory that could not be achieved in any other way. And he's only able to see that, though, by looking at his life through God's vision. God didn't see his abandonment and leave him orphaned. He adopted him and welcomed him in. He didn't see him as enslaved to addiction and leave him in that bondage. He broke those chains and released him of his sin. God didn't leave him in a life that would lead to death, but God brought a new life into his so that he could have new life as well. You see, brothers and sisters, no matter what challenges you face, no matter how deep the despair or how heavy the darkness, I want you to know that, that Joseph models for us the ability to look back over the course of history and say, look at God's grand vision. He's been there all the way, producing a victory that could not take place through your ability or through mine, but only through his. To God be the glory for all the victories he's producing in this room today. Let us pray. Lord God, we come thankful for your word and for the grand revelation of your truth for us. That you are doing a new thing in us. Opening our eyes to see what what we have, have failed to observe, how you are working all things for good, bringing life out of death. Lord, it's for your glory that, that we will seek to see as you see and to, and to direct our attention to the things above so that we might be able to give you praise, glory, and honor for those things. Lord, we promise we'll never claim or steal your victory, but we'll lean on you, trusting that you will and can and do produce that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.